You guys can open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to share a little and then we'll get in the Word. It's always good to see a full house at the prayer meeting. All right, tonight I'm going to speak about something that I feel correlates uh, to each believer's level of faith and level of obedience to God. And what that is, is their revelation of heaven. We're going to talk about heaven tonight. Okay, uh, I've discovered that many Christians have a poor view of heaven. Their view of heaven is what they've seen in the cartoons or just what they've been described to. Maybe they've heard of in a sermon of just everyone gathered around God worshiping day and night. And I think all of us hopefully love to worship God uh, and are blessed by his presence. But the thought of singing and 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 singing doesn't sound that heavenly. And so... Because this is pretty much their only revelation, or for, for other Christians, their only revelation is what they've seen in the comics, where it's just a bunch of people on clouds with harps, and just hovering around cloud to cloud, and you each get your own cloud. That was my view of heaven when I was little. It's not that exciting. It's not really something to live for. And so when people are tempted by things of this world, it's a lot easier to fall for it rather than to wait for heaven, rather than to live for heaven. Uh, something that's been mentioned a number of sermons recently here, or, um, man, not supposed to do that. Uh, you guys are aware of the marshmallow test, where people's ability uh, to be tested on delayed gratification. All right, you guys are aware of this test, where kids are put in a room, they're given a marshmallow, and they're said, hey, they're, they're told, if you wait uh, in this room until the teacher returns then you will get another marshmallow. And for the kids that really like marshmallows, they waited. So they wanted another. And the results came that those that were able to wait for that marshmallow ended up a lot more successful in life, that delayed gratification. The problem is, for a lot of Christians, this earthly world of sin is like that marshmallow in front of them, but heaven to them is like vegetables. <laughs> it's, it's good, you know, we need it. It's going to be great, yeah. This marshmallow right here. It's right in front of me. This is what I want. And so I want, my prayer is that the church would get a true revelation of heaven, that heaven's just not some other marshmallow. Heaven's way better than whatever marshmallow this earth has to offer. And it's worth living for. It is worth living for. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 21. It says this. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. 
Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I'm going to be putting some verses on the screen along with some different illustrations tonight. I'm going to put up uh, Philippians 3, 19 and 20 in the NIV. And I'm going to reread that for you guys. You can follow along on the screen. It says, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Think of that earthly marshmallow. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes today, the title of today's sermon, it was up there. It's Longing for Heaven. Longing for Heaven. That's the title of today's sermon. And I want to start this message with a stipulation. I'm not going to preach this message uh, from anyone's personal revelation of heaven. Uh, I'm going to just go from the scripture. Uh, There's a lot of books. There's a lot of videos, a lot of podcasts of different people's revelation of heaven. And uh, I personally know a number of people who have had dreams of heaven, had visions of heaven. Uh, Many people in this room have had uh, visions of heaven, visitations, things like that. One of my favorite books is called Visions Beyond the Veil, and it's of Chinese orphans uh, about 100 years ago where the Holy Spirit just showed up at that orphanage, and all these kids had visions of heaven, of hell, and of the end times. It's an amazing book. Uh, Another popular book right now is Heaven is for Real. Uh, That book is so popular that they're making a Hollywood movie based upon that book. And I have no problem with, with these types of dreams, these types of visions that have been shared. And I've been encouraged uh, by a number of them. But my concern with a lot of these different dreams and visions is that Christians who hear them will then limit their scope of heaven to these few eyewitness accounts. This is very, very dangerous. Think about this. If 20 of us in this room were suddenly thrown to other parts of this, of this world, say, say we, we've never been to earth, and suddenly 20 of us are just thrown around all planet earth, and we're told to describe what was your eyewitness account of the planet earth. Well, if I landed in the ocean, I would say it's just a bunch of water. Not much there. If I landed in the desert, I would say it's just sand and it's hot. If I landed in a city, I would say it's a lot of concrete and it's very cluttered. You see, all these accounts are true, but they don't describe it to the full. At the same time, if you took five people of different economic background, gender, age, religion, ethnicity, you know, all these different things, if you were to take five different people and put them in the same room, they would likely describe it in different ways, right? Because they're all seeing it through their own lenses. Kids would would even make up things in their imagination. People who maybe weren't as educated would describe it in other ways. People who hadn't seen modern technology. So think about this. Even the prophets in the Bible who saw the end times, how could they describe an airplane or bombs or missiles or any of those things to the people of their day? It'd be impossible. And so now we think, oh, this is the current age. But no, it's not. 
You see, there's, there's much more to come. We're going to see a lot more here on earth. We're going to be able to describe things in more ways. And so our lenses in these heavenly visitations can only see so much. And so while these things are good, they're not meant to become religion. They're not meant to become something that we base our beliefs upon. Does this make sense? In the New Testament, there were three people who had visitations of heaven that we know of. Stephen, right before he died, looked up and saw the heavens open. Very, very brief. Okay, that was grace. The apostle John, he was called by God, brought up into heaven, and he was given a clear decree of what to share and what not to share. There's a passage in, in Revelation where he gets excited. He hears seven thunders speak, and he starts to write it down, and a voice comes from the heavens and says, don't write it. That's not to be shared. The apostle Paul was the third And he writes about in 2 Corinthians how he knew a man that was taken up to the third heaven. He's actually alluding to himself. Check out verse 4 of what the Apostle Paul said about his visitations. He says this. There it is. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. He says his revelations were so great in the same passage that he was given a thorn in the flesh to keep him from becoming boastful. Paul knew not to share any of the revelations because he knew people might think more of him than they would of God. You see, God is romantic. That's one of the things I love to say about God. He's mysterious. And I'm going to share more about this in regards to heaven. And so sometimes he'll reveal things to us as a mystery that are just meant for us. There are things that I share with my wife, Skye, that I'm not going to share with you guys. It's out of my love for her. And this is what God loves to do with the church. And so my prayer is that each and every one of you will have visions of heaven. Whether tonight or or some other night, you guys will see heaven in a dream, in a vision, in some other way. But when you get that, do you need to have wisdom? And know, is this something that's meant to be shared? Or is this just God's personal treasure for me? You see, some of you, your vision of heaven might be this huge dance studio. Wow, it's got like everything. It's amazing. You share that to me, I'm going to be very disappointed. Like, no. Hold me on to earth. It takes wisdom. And so I want to encourage you guys to do is if you get a visitation, if you get something that's powerful uh, and, and you want to share, share it with your spiritual father, share it with your spiritual mentor, share it with someone that you trust. And uh, if they feel it's good, then, you know, you can share it with family. And if it's ordained by God to be shared like the Apostle John, then I think God will confirm that through many people for you to eventually share it. Okay, so I wanted to kind of put that stipulation out there first. So I'm going to really be focusing on the Word of God. And I just mentioned how God is mysterious, and that's what romance is all about. And what you'll find with heaven in, in the Bible is it's all throughout Scripture, but it is very mysterious. It's very elusive. And in fact, one of my favorite passages on heaven is just one verse, Matthew 13, verse 44. And uh, it's the parable of the, of the treasure hidden in the field. It says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, first and foremost, that's a picture of Jesus Christ who found us as his treasure, and he gave up everything so that he might have us. That's a picture of God's love. But that's also a picture of heaven, of God's revelation of heaven. It's elusive. It's something that's meant to be sought after. 
It's like a pearl that's lost. And the person searches and searches and finds it. I, I pulled out my systematic theology book to, to study for this sermon. Uh, this is something that is just burning on my heart recently. It's a 1,200-page book. I have not read it. 1,200-page uh, book, systematic theology on the Bible. And can you guess how many pages were allotted to heaven and eternity out of 1,200 pages? Seven. It was seven pages. And it was all very, very bland stuff. It was like, oh, I know this. Okay, you're just talking about the same thing. Oh, well. Okay, so I'm, I'm sorry. No systematic theology in this message. Um, but it really spoke to me about how most of the church today, including this 1,200-page book, doesn't focus on heaven. Doesn't focus on heaven that much. Uh, what you hear in the Christian church today is a lot of sermons about how to keep your joy, how to dream big, how, how to you know, be free from sin, uh, how to be successful, how to move on, how to love people. And these are all applicable to us in the body of Christ. But you rarely hear messages about heaven. And it's true in the corporate world. It's just true in the physical world as well that most people live day to day. What are you most worried about right now? Probably tomorrow. Maybe the next day. Very few of us are really focused on a five-year plan or a 10-year plan or a 20-year plan. Gosh, 20 years? Whatever. I don't know if I'm, you know, like, what? you don't think about that, right? Only the visionaries think of those things. And so it is with a lot of Christians with heaven. A lot of Christians will say, you know, I'm just focused on getting through the day, just trying to glorify God. Heaven will come when it comes. And that sounds pretty like, wow, you're, you're a great person. But actually, that's not what the Bible says is great. It's quite the opposite. Hebrews 11 is a book, uh, a chapter set apart of the people who lived by faith. And it first lists five people, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Abraham's wife, Sarah. What did these amazing people do? They made a sacrifice, they walked with God, they made a boat, and they conceived a son. They did a lot of wonderful things uh, for the Lord. And this is what Hebrews 11, verse 13 through 16, says about them. Go back to the previous verse. It says this. Previous slide, please. There we go. Read along. This is what it says about Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Abraham's wife, Sarah, and Abel. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You see, the greatest people of all in God's sight had heaven on their mind at all times. That same chapter of Hebrews 11 described these people as the world not being worthy of them. The world was not worthy of these people because they knew they were living for heaven. Patriarch Jacob said to Pharaoh, I am a Hebrew. I'm just a wanderer in this land. That, that's who I am here on earth. I'm just a Hebrew, a wanderer. I'm living for heaven. Heaven is on my mind. I'm longing to be with God. I'm longing to be freed from this life. God loves it when we long for Him. God loves it when we seek Him. I mean, it's, that's what romance is. It's mystery, and He loves it when we play along. He loves it when we're excited. 
He loves it when we're really seeking after him. But I know some of you guys have trouble with romance. And so I'm going to just kind of open up some of those mysteries for you guys tonight. I'm going to reveal some of these things for you. We're going to get the ball rolling. All right. I'm not going to reveal everything about heaven, but I'm going to reveal some things that maybe you guys have never thought of. And I'm going to share two reasons why you guys may have not thought of heaven as that great of a place. The first is that you need a revelation of how good God is before you can get a good revelation of heaven. The, the greatest example of this is the Israelites when they le- left Egypt for the promised land. You see, they were slaves in Egypt eating slave food. Okay, They were like prisoners in that land. They were working nonstop. Their, their firstborn sons, their, their sons were being killed by Pharaoh. They were in horrible shape. God delivers them. This is a symbol of like your salvation, you being healed, you being set free. God delivers them from Egypt and takes them into the promised land. But what happens? They haven't had a revelation of how great God is. They've seen God with the plagues. They've seen God move, but they don't really know him that much. And so after a while, they start to get a little bit just, I don't think the promised land's going to be that good. I kind of want to go back. That food that we ate in Egypt was really good. Do you remember that slave food that we ate? It was really good. And they couldn't believe the true promises, the promised land. They even tasted of the grapes that were so heavy, that one cluster of grapes that it took four men to carry it. They tasted it, but their faith was so weak. They just couldn't believe that God is that good. And uh, I've heard some different Christians share that they actually don't want to go to heaven because they don't want to lose the relationships they have here on earth. And that's sweet, you know, like... I, I just I just love them so much, you know, I, I, I don't want to lose them. I'm telling you this, a, a number of wives ha- have shared this as well. I, they know that in heaven, Jesus himself said that there will not be marriage in heaven. Who won't be married anymore? That's not heaven. Yeah, so like drama-ish. Uh, but no, I mean, this is true. And when you experience falling in love with someone, you really don't want to leave their side. And that, that is a taste of the true love in heaven. That's just a taste. First Corinthians 13 says, Now we've seen but a poor image. It's a reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. You see, the love that you've tasted here on earth, whether it be romantic love, friendly love, love of the family, any love, any goodness that you've tasted here on earth is prison food compared to what you will experience in heaven. I mean, I, I, I love you, Sky. But I'm bread and water compared to what you experience in heaven. I don't match up. Heaven is going to be so much better. Amen? So I need you guys to renounce any cynical attitude about heaven. Don't be cynical like the Israelites were regarding the promised land. God is good. And if you need proof of that, Just look at the cross. Just remember what God did on the cross, that the Father sent His Son, that He demonstrated His own love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. That is goodness. All of us, for for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, not, not even one. We all deserve hell. We all deserve bad things. And yet God sent His Son, Jesus, to die for us. 
that we might receive his love, that he might live in our hearts, that we might have eternal life. That's the goodness of God. Another hindrance to people's revelation, their view of heaven, is that they can't picture God as that big. Once again, a lot of our pictures of God came from cartoons, comic strips, and paintings. No painting can picture the greatness of God. So in a lot of these paintings and a lot of these pictures, you'll see, oh, this is heaven. And you'll see God, and he's seated on the throne, and he's like 10 stories tall, something like that. That's big. You know, and you got all the masses of people around worshiping. But really, that's not that big. Let's say he was like, you know, 100 feet, 1,000 feet tall, like a 100-story building. That's a, you know, that's a big God, but it's still not that big. And so a lot of people, their view of heaven is... Heaven's not that big. It's just this one, one room that we're all gathered, and there's God, and we're just there for all eternity in the same room. <laughs> God's a lot bigger than you would think. I think you guys are going to like this. I want to clear this up. God is the God of the universe, amen? Yeah. He created the heavens and the earth. And so he is a master creator who has no limit. I'm going to show you guys some pictures here. Let's look at the solar system. This is like fourth grade science, okay? Here's the sun. The sun is very big, all right? It's a star, and uh, it's, it's huge. There's one star in the solar system. It's a solar system because they all rotate around this star. So you got nine planets. There we are on Earth. Now, a, a lot of people only think about the Earth. In fact, they only think about their city or just their neighborhood, or just their house. Okay, that's, that's how limited our scope is. And so we don't really think of God that big. You know, oh, God's here. He's in this room. Hi, God. You know, he's small. He's like right there. No, God's a lot bigger. Some people will even think about the sun and Mars, but who thinks about Neptune or Pluto? <laughs> Nobody thinks about that. But let's, let's zoom out a little. The solar system is not the end of things. We're all part of a galaxy which is a set of stars. Let's see the next picture. It's the Milky Way. And this right here is us. We are in the Milky Way, this system of stars. Stars, think of like the sun. Tons of suns everywhere. How many stars are in the Milky Way? Approximately 200 to 400 billion stars are in the Milky Way. 200 to 400 billion stars. And so if you were to go to one end of the Milky Way, to the other end of the Milky Way galaxy, at the speed of light, it would take you 100,000 years. Straight line. So now, let's think. If you wanted to explore every star and every planet and go over all the surface of all the land and see everything in this place, it would take approximately eternity. God's, God's pretty big. Now, we're not the only galaxy, believe it or not. We are not the only galaxy. Uh, so let's look at this next picture. Uh, you guys can't really see this, but this is a chart of a bunch of other galaxies and their size. And so, like, you see this, this is a very big galaxy right here, you know, and, and you got these, these different colored ones and really big one right there. And the Milky Way is this one, this little one right there. 
That's us. So there, these are all these huge galaxies. Now remember, from this, this part of this dot to this part is 100,000 light years. Can you imagine exploring all these galaxies? Now let's see how big you think God is. How many galaxies are in the universe as of now that people have discovered? How many galaxies do you think have been discovered? I hear like 20, I hear 100, I hear 100,000. The answer is 500. 500 billion. 500 billion galaxies. Is that Oman Ok? So you got 500 billion galaxies. That's the most recent estimate by some German supercomputer. Uh, and they all consist of 200 to 400 billion stars. Now, if every human alive today were to inherit a galaxy, each one of us would inherit 70 galaxies. 70 galaxies. That's about one, uh, no, it's about 30 trillion stars, not including planets. Can you imagine inheriting 30 trillion stars? You can't. Let's think about how long it would take for you to explore 30 trillion stars. I think it would take a few eternities. God is a lot bigger than you think. He's a lot more detailed than you think. You think God's idea of heaven is just some big room with some chairs? 500 billion galaxies. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And that is the fallen world. That's the current world right now. Let's look at Isaiah 65 or 17. It's going to come up here. It says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. How many of you guys know about the new earth? I've never heard a sermon on the new earth. Revelation 21, verse 1 and 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So we see there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, scholars debate whether this earth is just going to be renewed or whether he's just going to completely make a new one. We don't know. All right, but I'm, I'm not going to preach on that. Uh, but what we do know is that there's a new earth, there's new heavens, and then there's this heavenly city as well. Now, I'm going to just focus on the heavenly city because we only get a small picture of that in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22. And so this is the city that God has prepared for us, along with this earth and the heavens. Before the city, in Revelation 21, verse 14 through 16, the apostle John is tasked with measuring it. I can only imagine what he did, but uh, he measured it from one end to the other, and he found that lengthwise, the new city is 1,380 miles long, 1,380 miles wide, 1,380 miles tall. So that means that this new city is either a cube or it's a pyramid. I'm, I'm not joking. It's either a pyramid or a cube, according to his dimensions. 
For square footage for the city, it's approximately the size of the moon. Now, this is just the city. It's the size of the moon. And maybe a lot of you guys don't think that the moon is, is that big. But let's say that there were 100 billion people that have lived on the earth. That's a pretty good estimate. And that only about 20% got saved. And that's very generous when you think about the, the past of Christianity. Let's say 20% of all mankind got saved. So you got 20 billion people living on this heavenly city. Now, when you guys think of city, you think of crowded, you think of traffic, buses, things like that. Well, if 20 billion people live in this heavenly city that the Apostle John gave the dimensions for, then each one of us would get an inheritance of approximately 75 acres or 57 soccer fields just to yourself. Now, that's just the city. We're not talking about the new earth. We're not talking about the new heavens, which is like 500 billion galaxies. We're just talking about the city. Heaven's big. Now, to add to that, Scripture says that God will be our light. You won't need the sun or the moon. You won't need fire. God will be the light, whether we're outdoors or indoors. And so I just talked about surface uh, area. But if you looked at the surface area of this building from the sky, you would say, this isn't that big, this building. But what you wouldn't know from looking at the sky is that there's actually six floors in this building. There's a lot more to this building than what you see from the sky. And so if this heavenly city has levels in it, it's pretty much immeasurable. Think about that as well. Outside to the inside. Think of the moon, not just everyone on the outside, but also level two, level three, level four, and all the way on in. That's huge. That's practically immeasurable. Heaven is going to be great. It's going to be huge. It's going to be grand. It's not going to be this little room where we all gather and we just sing and sing and sing and sing until our voices run dry. John 14.2 is one of the clear verses on heaven. I don't like this translation, but I'm going to read it for you. It's the ESV. It says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? That word room, I really don't like. Uh, it's also in the NIV. ESV and NIV use that. Word room makes heaven sound cluttered. It sounds like a college dormitory. Uh, here, here's your room. You'll be here for all eternity. Okay? Doesn't sound that good, right? In the Greek... That word literally means dwelling places or homes to dwell in. Now, I prefer the King James or the New King James Version of this verse. Check this out. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. Do you really think Jesus is like, man, I love them so much. I'm going to give them this office towel that's going to have a washing machine and... Come on, guys. Our revelation of God has to be greater in terms of his goodness. He wants to bless us, not just give us, you know, here's your room. He wants to bless us, and he's also a big God. So he's not this, like, here, just have this little tiny thing. All right, I'm done. God made 500 billion galaxies, and there's likely a lot more. That's how many have been found so far. God's grand. He's big. He does things really big. And, you know, part two is always better than part one. 
It's always better. Okay, let me give you guys some more pictures of this, how big God is. Um, New Testament of God. Hold on, hold on one second. Okay, yeah. With the Old Testament, you had sacrifices. You had, you had to work, work, work. What did you have in the New Testament? You had God coming down. You had the Spirit of God living within us. Part two was a lot better, right? It says the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. I can guarantee you that heaven is going to be greater and it's going to be bigger. And I'm going to give you some more perspective on this. Revelation 10, 1 through 3 speaks of an angel. I think a lot of you guys, when you think of an angel, you think of this angelic being with wings that's great, but maybe like eight feet tall, a little bit bigger than us. That's the angel. It appears, oh, it's scary. You know, I, I bow down or, I, you know, I, I fall back. But that's about the size. But look at the size of this angel. It says this. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun. His legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. Now, I was actually shocked when I was researching for this sermon, looking up different artwork. There's almost no art on heaven and angels, uh, specifically Book of Revelation. If you artists, you guys should get on this because I think people need to see this. This is the best picture I got of this. Not that good. I mean, come on, guys. (laughs) we, We can do better. But at least you get to see... This angel, if it has a foot in the, on the land and a foot on the sea, it's got to be bigger than eight feet. So, so at least in this illustration, we see that this angel is taller than the mountains. Okay? I'm telling you, we need some artists in here. That was the best picture I could find. So think about that. Do you think you're going to have an angel that's bigger than the mountains over to your little college dormitory? <laughs> Angels are very big. My favorite scripture of, of an angel is Revelation 17, 19. And I couldn't find a good picture of this. It says this, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. With a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God. Now, we don't know the perspective of John when he's saying this. If he's on earth and he sees an angel standing in the sun, his angel would have to be about the size of the moon for him to see it, right? Now, if he's in heaven and he's looking at the sun, remember the sun is huge compared to the earth. Likely, this angel would have to be bigger than a lot of planets. That's really weird to think, right? But is God limited to five foot six? Six foot one. No, us in our you know proud pride and you know oh humans are, are the best. We tend to think according to our own dimensions, but God is limitless. These angels are huge. Heaven is going to be huge, guys. There's big angels and there's small angels. They're not all the same. God is pretty amazing, and uh, you know I'll, I'll show this to you on Earth though as well. God created the heavens and the earth. Let's think about just the earth. There are things on earth that are a lot bigger than us. Look at this picture of the redwood tree. You see, this is just the very, very trunk of this tree. And that right there is a person who looks like, he looks like an ant. 
Now, when you guys look at ants, you think they're so tiny. Look at that little ant going up that, that little branch. But that's pretty much how we look next to redwood trees. If God created something so big here on earth, wouldn't heaven be so much greater? Let's look at this uh, next slide. This is the Argentinosaurus. Argentinosaurus, 120 feet long. And that's us right there. Now, you're telling me that God could make these grand creatures here on earth, but in heaven, it's going to be really boring. There's not going to be any fun stuff there. We've got to open our minds here. What did John see when he was in heaven? He saw some wacky stuff. He saw four living creatures that he couldn't really describe. It was just bizarre, really bizarre. Now, he was in the old heavens for most of his account of Revelation till the last two chapters. So what he also saw was he saw a demonic horde that came out that looked like huge locusts with human faces. That's really bizarre, kind of scary. Okay, he also saw a huge dragon that represented Satan that was fighting in heaven. This is very mystical. Now, we celebrate stuff like Avatar, where, oh, you know, it's like the new, new planet, and look at those wonderful creatures. Yeah, I wish I had that. And, and we celebrate that stuff, but that's all from human wisdom. That's all from human inspiration. But the truth is, any wisdom that we have is from God. God is the true inspiration. And God's the one who made all these dinosaurs. God's the one who made all these animals. And if God can make cute puppies and kittens for us here on earth, imagine what he could make for us in heaven. I'm trying to open your minds. Let's go ahead, put up, put up a picture. Come on. Who wants toothless? It's a picture of how to train your dragon. What does Isaiah 40, verse 31 say? It says, you will soar on wings like eagles. I'm taking that literally. <laughs> Think about Elijah. How'd he go up to heaven? In a whirlwind. He flew on up. The chariot was, was beside him. Okay, think about Elijah as well. He's filled with the Spirit of God and he outran chariots. He booked it. <laughs> think about Philip. Teleportation. Jesus steps in the boat from walking on water and it says that the boat immediately arrived at land. Teleportation. That's here on earth. Think about Jesus' resurrected body. He was with us for a moment, and then he was gone the next. Walking through walls. Doors are locked. Oh, here's Jesus. He's coming right in. <laughs> Jesus says, all right, it's time for me to go. <laughs> you guys ever thought about this stuff? Heaven's going to be a lot of fun. God's a good God. He loves us. Guys, worship is not just singing nonstop. Otherwise, I wouldn't be preaching right now. We'd just be singing. <laughs> worship is a living sacrifice. Worship is living to glorify God, whether you're singing, dancing, laughing, you know, talking to people. That's worship. And there will be worship in heaven that will be amazing of singing of dancing, and of celebration. As you know that parties originated in heaven? 
Parties originated in heaven. Celebrations originated in heaven. One of the, the illustrations that Jesus loved to use the most was kingdom of heaven is like a great banquet. It's like a great feast. It's when all these people are gathered together to eat. Heaven's going to be fun. It's going to be great. You will not be disappointed. I guarantee it. And it's as we begin to reflect and meditate on these things, these earthly marshmallows, these things that try and tempt us and try and seize us, suddenly they're not as important anymore. So I'm living for heaven. I'm living for something so much greater. There's no more stress about the day-to-day. No more stress. I watched this movie called About Time. And uh, it was a sweet movie, but it's about this guy. It sounds really dumb, but he can uh, travel in time if he wants, if he goes into a dark room, and he can go like this, and he can go backwards. And so he's taught that one of the tricks to living life is live your day out, go through all the stress, go through all the troubles, and then at the night, go into the room, travel back in time, and live the day out again. And you'll find life's a lot more relaxed because you don't have to be so tense. You can smile at people. You don't have to be so caught up in the day-to-day, day-to-day. But you realize that, man, life is meant to be enjoyed. And so much more, heaven, heaven is going to be enjoyed. And so for us, if our meditation is on how good heaven is, then we can enjoy this life. We can do it knowing, man, I'm doing this all for the glory of God. Gosh, you know, I feel this pain right now. I just had that misunderstanding. I just had that embarrassing moment. But gosh, it just reminds me of how good heaven is going to be. And when I taste great things here on earth, when I have a great time, I can celebrate. And no, man, God, you're giving me just a tiny, poor reflection in a mirror of what I am going to see when heaven comes. Our minds are meant to be set on heaven. In heaven, there's going to be no more pain, no more shame, no more jealousy, no more envy, no more pettiness, no more racism, no more bias, no more comparison, no more insecurity. All of these things will be completely gone. We will feel completely accepted and completely loved. Heaven is going to be sweet. And so I've just kind of revealed some of these mysteries, but I want to tell you that there is so much more. And there are things that are personal that God wants to reveal to each and every one of you because he has a different relationship, a different loving relationship with each and every one of you. God is not some robotic God. God has a relationship. That's what he wants. That's why he sent his son for us so that he could have a personal relationship with each and every one of us. And so there are revelations of heaven that God wants to give you personally. And I really Just with all my heart, I want the church to get this. I want the church to desire him. I want the church to yearn for him. I am a firm believer that we get what we want, whether we're a believer or not. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. For those that want the sin, for those that want the stuff here on earth, God gives it to them. The ones that don't want God, God says, Okay, you will not have me for all eternity. That was their choice. That's what they wanted. They were living for the now. You try and share the gospel with them. No, I'm not interested in that. I'm just interested in today. I just want to satisfy myself today. And so God gives them over to their pursuits. Read about this all throughout Scripture. But so it is for those that want more of God. 
And the greatest in the kingdom of heaven are those that desire to be with him. Those that want to know him more, that want to seek him more. Because just as I shared that there's 500 billion galaxies and it's impossible to explore each and every one of them, it's also impossible to see all of God. Because God's bigger than 500 billion galaxies. He's far greater. And I've shared this before with some of you, but when the elders would look up at God, they would take their crowns and cast it before him and worship him because of how great and glorious he is. And then it says the living creatures would follow suit and they would begin to worship God. And I imagine as those living creatures are worshiping God, the elders are going and picking up their crown and going back and they sit down and they put on their crown and then they look up and they see more. And they're overwhelmed with worship. Wow, how great and glorious you are, God. And they take their crown and they throw it. And the living creatures worship and they go and they pick up their crown. It sounds crazy, but God's far more entertaining than any movie you will ever see. He's far more entertaining than any relationship or anything you could have here on earth. He's far greater. And God wants us to yearn for Him. Scripture's pretty clear that uh, there is rank and there is order in heaven. And uh, I'm going to put up this verse. I know I, I got off the script a little bit. Matthew 6, 20. 21, he says this, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And I want you guys to get this. The people that have the greatest revelation of heaven are usually those that are the poorest, that are the weakest, that are the most hurting. Who are the people that really appreciated Jesus? Who are the people that loved his presence? It's the blind It was the lame, it was the deaf, it was the poor, it was the victims of injustice. It was the ostracized, the prostitutes, the Samaritans. They loved Jesus. But who are the people that that didn't find that much joy in Jesus? The religious leaders, the rich, those that were just busy with their own thing. It's the same similarity, correlation with heaven. In his presence is fullness of joy, but do you really appreciate him? Have you really recognized how good he is or are you just focused on yourself? Check out who God says will really experience the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter 5, it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes it just takes a revelation of how desperate we are before God for us to really appreciate him. For us to really want him. To be excited about him. And this is why it's so much harder for the rich to get in the kingdom of God. It's not impossible. Guys, we are all believers here. We are some of the most wealthy people in the world today. Yet we worship him. But are we burning with desire for him? It takes being poor in spirit. It takes that revelation of, man, God, you are that good. You are that glorious. And I feel each of you had a taste of this at some point in your Christian walk. When you accepted him or, or when God redeemed you for something very, very strong in your life, you had that taste of, God, you're so glorious. But let's be honest, it can be hard when we're in the comforts of this world to get distracted. One of the, the stories that touches my heart so much about this is uh, a story I've shared here at Joint Prayer Meeting, I think years before, a friend of mine uh, met with some people who do ministry with people in North Korea. They do ministry on the border. And uh, he met with them at a restaurant. 
And he couldn't get his eyes, keep his eyes off of this one Korean guy at the end of the table who was silent during the whole time talking. And this guy had the most peaceful, joyful look my friend had ever seen. And it was just something about this guy stuck out to my friend. So my friend asked the, the people he was with, hey, what's his story? Who is this guy? They said, oh, he's a North Korean defector. He's a believer. His family were believers, and uh, he lost his wife and his children to the prison camps. And uh, he made it out. Uh, but what he does now is he, he lives to just go back into North Korea and to share the gospel and to help people out. That's what he does. You would think someone with the most riskiest, most stressful job that you could ever imagine going into a country where you know that at any moment someone could, could betray you, someone could, could pers- you know, just jump on you, torture you, imprison you, execute you at any moment. And yet this man was so filled with peace and with joy because he knew desperation in North Korea. He knew how hard it was, and he just got a drip of the living water, just a drip of the gospel, and it was all that he needed. It was all that he wanted, and he is so filled with a deep joy because he knows, man, I'm not living for this earth, just like Abraham, just like Noah, just like Abel and Enoch and Sarah. I'm not living for this earth. I'm looking for a heavenly city. I'm looking for something that's coming coming soon, and I can have peace and know my family is there as well. My favorite verse about heaven is Revelation 21.4. says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Guys, our generation needs a revelation of heaven. Everyone needs a revelation of heaven. And for South Korea, for America, they need a strong conviction of their sin in order for them to truly appreciate heaven, for them to recognize just how blind, just how crippled, just how deaf they are. Then they can truly appreciate Jesus. But I also want to say for North Korea, for these countries that are under oppression, when it opens up, they just need a drip. They just need a little, and they're going to give their all. They're going to live for God like no other. It's not going to be, oh, I'm committing, you know, just a year to live for God for short-term missions. I'm committing 10 years, you know, to my church, or I'm, I'm committing this. It's everything laid out because my time here on earth is short. Heaven is going to be so much better. God, take me. God, use me. God, I am yours. This life is but a breath in terms of eternity. It's but a breath. It's nothing. So, God, I want to live every day for your glory. I want to smile. I want to be at peace. And I want to know whether I go tomorrow or I go in 80 years, I'm going to be there eventually. And it's going to be good. And the more I can live here on earth for your glory, the closer I'm going to be with you in heaven. The nearer I'm going to be to your heart.